Welcome, everyone, to Couch Potato Theater here on the Fandom Podcast Network. We are celebrating Demolition Man 1993. This is the 30th anniversary, and Couch Potato Theater is where we celebrate our favorite movies. Now, I'm holding up a Blu-ray copy here. This here is actually the Taco Bell original version. This one, however, is from overseas, Australia, and or Canada. I think this was Australia, yes. This is the... Pizza Hut edition. We'll go more into that later. I can't do this alone, guys. First of all, let me go ahead and get my brother from another mother, Mr. Kyle Wagner. Welcome, dude. What's up? Well, since it is the first podcast we're doing after Thanksgiving, it is appropriate that this is a rematch episode <laughs> of yes, Potato Theater. <laughs> yes, we have done this one before, but this was back in the old days of audio only your old days of audio only or on the Phantom Podcast Network. But now that we are on YouTube, it's a visual medium now, we have to have more fun with that and do slideshows and show props, you know, because that's what we do here on the Phantom Podcast Network. But I can't talk Demolition Man, action movies, Australia, without our own lethal mullet himself, Mr. Adam O'Brien. Adam, what's up, brother? Oh, oh, sorry, guys. You caught me using three seashells. Um, <laughs> hey, how you going, guys? Yeah, oh, oh, this this movie, eh, is a bit of an action movie. I think um, it might do with a bit of mullet. <laughs> oh, no, no, wait a minute. I thought I thought Adam got the Adam obviously didn't get the email and the memo that he was supposed to dye his hair blonde for this podcast. And we're oh, overalls. And we're overalls yeah, too. I know. Right? Overalls. You got to wear the overalls. That has to be a big part of it. Of course. Well, just just you know? just stay away from the tax evasion. <laughs> okay, so we'll get into all that. Kyle's throwing out some really good heaters out there, uh, inside jokes here, but we're going to talk about all that. But first of all, clean your three seashells. I got mine right over here. We're going to discuss that later. This, of course, we are talking Demolition Man, the 30th anniversary, 1993. This is the year 2023, and we have to celebrate it. Uh, it is an excellent action film. I love it. And we're here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And uh, Los Angeles, 1996, burning away here at the uh, Dear Hollywood sign. And uh, Demolition Man just went to – hold on a sec, Kyle. Demolition Man just went to work here. <laughs> All right. This is what they do. Went to work here. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, are we sure this isn't San Francisco 2023? <laughs> and we should have brought out marshmallows. <laughs> Did I miss Kyle? I don't get you. What? Uh, well, the, the San Francisco has been just just a, a big mess uh, from what I what I've saw. But I gotta say, Los Angeles does recover nicely. I mean, you, you guys you guys are doing pretty well. I mean, ninety. I didn't realize it was that bad in ninety six, Kevin. No wonder you moved to Atlanta. Yes. Um, as I said, this is Couch Potato Theater Demolition Man. But we got the lethal mullet himself, Mr. Adam O'Brien. Uh, why are we having you on here, man? You know stuff about action movies. I might know just a tiny little bit about action movies. In particular, when it comes down to the 90s, I specialise in that in the 80s. I mean, because that was the golden period of you know, your your type A action movie, those that are built around muscle-bound, martial arts-bound, explosive, guns-blazing action movies where, you know, they're just craziness happened. And over on, uh, of course, the show, we cover all that sort of stuff. And even uh, we've had some of the great highlight episodes over the last couple of weeks looking at um, even obscure films like Cuffs with uh, Christian Slater. We've been looking at some great old classics like Universal Soldier, which was, you know, one that 
actually more successful than people uh, remember it being. And ties into a little bit in this one because this was originally meant to be the next film after Universal Soldier for Jean-Claude Van Damme and, of course, Steven Seagal. Seagal was going to be playing John Spartan and, of course, Simon Phoenix was going to be uh, Van Damme. Eh. <laughs> Bonjour. Kevin, I'm a little confused because I could have sworn Adam before the podcast told me how much he was looking forward to doing this Downton Abbey episode of. My too. Kyle, stay on track, buddy. Stay on track here. <laughs> All right, guys. I just want to throw up some uh, posters here. The original one there uh, on the left. If you're listening to this audio podcast. By the way, please join us on YouTube because we're going to share some really cool pictures and some funny stuff with what we're going to be talking about here. Uh, I love. I think that one in the middle there might be some fan art. Uh, there's been a lot of cool different uh, interpretations of Demolition Man, and the reason why we're also doing this is because Demolition Man is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is in my top five, and uh, there used to be a time where I was ashamed to like this movie because this movie was uncool for a while, guys. This movie was something that was kind of like silly. It seemed like at the time, but then as time went on, we started to see stuff kind of creep up and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of the things that demolition man predicted, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. I thought, first of all, a little plot description for those that maybe a little fuzzy on what is happening here. All right. Frozen in 1996, Simon Phoenix, a convicted crime lord, is revived for a parole hearing well into the 21st century. Revived into a society free of crime, Phoenix resumes his murderous rampage and no one can stop him. John Spartan, the police officer who captured Phoenix in 1996, has also been frozen, this time for a crime he didn't commit. In 2032, the former city of Los Angeles, San Diego, and Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, have merged into a peaceful, utopian San Angeles. Unable to stop him with their violent, nonviolent solutions, the police release Spartan to help capture Phoenix. Now, 36 years, <laughs> Spartan had to adapt himself to the future society he has no knowledge about. Now we're laughing because it's showtime for me. I had to show my uh, my toys here. So, <laughs> Kevin, wait a minute. I'm confused. Was that was that a Simon Phoenix figure or a Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air figure? I can't. Or is it the Dennis Robin figure? Uh, all right, guys. Uh, I want to get your. Uh, there's a lot of. First of all, there's a lot of funny taglines. You know, I'm just going to name a few here. 21st century most dangerous cop. The 21st century's most ruthless criminal. Uh, in the year 2032, Simon Phoenix escapes from prison on the verge of bringing home, uh, bringing crime to San Angeles. One man is back to as his duty is a last resort. They call him the Demolition Man. I want to know. When and where were you guys when you first saw this movie? Mr. O'Brien, I'm going to start with you. So I knew there was a, a new Stallone movie coming out and I wasn't really up on science fiction movies at the time. And I was reading a magazine 
actually written by a dear friend of ours and, of course, somebody that um, somehow came around the rabbit hole back into my life in this way, uh, obviously in the podcast world. That is John Mosby. And, of course, him along with Bay Logan had Impact Magazine. There was a big magazine article about Simon Phoenix, this new character that Wesley Snipes was playing, and an interview with him and I think some of the crew, but not Stallone. And that's what got me thinking, oh, wow, there's something coming up. My birthday came around the corner and my mum gave me the paperback for my birthday. And I, I read this thing. I'm like, oh, I've got to go and see the movie. And the movie had just come out that December. And I went and uh, saw it at the, the cinemas. And I'm like, wow, what did I just see? Not only was it a pop culture, you know, mashup of all proportions, of everything Warner Brothers, music-wise with Red Hot Chili Peppers influences, with influences for Lethal Weapon 3, um, the gun sounds and folia from obviously all the other Warner Brothers action movies at the time. There's even some diehard folly in there. But the great thing about this was I was a huge Stallone fan. You know, I'd follow him all the way from First Blood all the way through. Obviously, Tango and Cash, a huge one for us uh, here on the channel. But that really just blew my mind. And so I went and consecutively saw it 15 times at the cinema. Now, did you? <laughs> wow, that's more than I did in the theater. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, Kyle, what about you? When and where? I, I saw it in the theater when it premiered. But this is the interesting thing about Demolition Man. This is actually a very interesting time in Stallone's career because he's coming off some stinkers here. If you go back, he did Rocky Five in 1990. Let's, we, we don't talk about Rocky Five. Yep. Yeah. Cool. We, we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did that movie Oscar in, in 91. Kevin, he had a guest appearance on one of your all-time favorite shows, Dream On, in 1990. Wow. And then he did Stop or My Mom Will Shoot in 1992. <laughs> no so, one was asking for comedic version of him at this time. No one so, was. <laughs> so he was just turning it around. He had done Cliffhanger, which came out in 93. And then it was this. And this movie was kind of like, because Cliffhanger kind of got him back into the action realm there a little bit, this movie got a lot of heavy advertising on this because it ties to different major franchises, especially at that time, whether it was Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, whatever you want to claim. There was a lot of advertising for this film. This film had a ton of hype going into it. And you, Wes, you had Stallone, you had Wesley Snipes, Snipes, who was on the rise at this time, really starting to establish himself in action films. films and so you had these two guys who people were excited to see on the screen together. You throw in a little Sandra Bullock, you throw in a, a few other familiar faces in this, in this film and you've got demolition, man. And then something kind of, I don't want to say went wrong, but something took a left turn at Albuquerque and it took a little while for it to get back on track. Uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a great, great point, Kyle. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned Sandra Bullock. This is pre-speed Sandra Bullock. This is how I discovered uh, Sandra Bullock. Uh, I was crushing on her when this film came out. Like, who is this girl? You know, and then uh, Speed. I'm like, oh, okay, um, okay. So, I saw this in the theater. I know I saw it more than once. Uh, I love the trailers. I like the idea. I was uh, uh, eating Taco Bell a lot. <laughs> Which I we all because right? we were all broken. It was a cheap ass meal. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. And uh, I, yeah, I saw this more than once. And I love the fact that, you know, what I what I found interesting about it was that it took place in 1996 and this was 1993, at least the beginning of the film. And 
you know, we had the LA riots uh, and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was politically, it was an interesting time uh, in, in the United States. You know, my beloved hair metal was starting to die because of grunge, you know, all kinds of stuff was, was starting to happen. There was a turn. And so it starts off in 1993 and the world has gone to crap. It was kind of like, you know, seeing, um, you know, uh, Escape from New York set also in the 90s, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> we're going to get Escape from New York and this crap happening. And then I love the fact then it shoots into the future. And one of the things I just want to mention real quick, too, is to me, this movie really hasn't aged badly at all, except for maybe like, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer. I like that guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or <laughs> a couple other little things that are kind of like, OK, that's dated. But when it comes to the technology, you know, yes, you could say you could see that they've used early 90s technology and stuff like that. And we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on that a little bit later. But, you know, when it comes into what their version of the future is. And before I forget, guys, have you noticed that all of the uh, citizens are basically wearing Jedi robes, but in a little bit different way? But most of them are Star Wars Jedi robes. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle? Kevin, I, I, I did want to point out, too, actually, and it's, it's a bit of an influence on this movie, because in 92 is when we had the Rodney King riots in, L yeah. L in yep. L.A. And that was a big influence on some of the writing for this movie and the concepts they came up with for the beginning of the film. Uh, I watched like, like Free Jack. Yeah, Free Jack. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and also, too, I wanted to touch on on your uh, opinion on the audio um, commentary, Adam. I listened to maybe the first 10 minutes of it while we were prepping for the show. And they were talking about how they filmed this after, like six months after the Rodney King thing. But I wanted to get your insight on uh, you listening uh, to the audio con commentary because it was the director and Joel Silver, if I remember correctly. Correct. So Joel Silver is the one that sort of introduces everything. And then Marco Brambilla, the director, who was a first-time director. He'd worked on commercials before this movie. And basically they're talking about the setup and how little time they really had because this was one that he was brought on very last minute. And when he came onto the film, they had to set up things very quickly. That whole prologue was not even thought of in the original scripts. So they just jumped straight to the future, to 2032 San Angeles. Yeah. And they said, well, there's no setup. We need a setup to sort of pay off. And so a lot of it is talking about how they built up the characters by doing a James Bond-style prologue, bringing people in. And, um, you know, so you think about it, the original edition of this, which would have been the, the maybe 91, 92, would have had Seagal waking up straight away. Straight away, and that's what they're talking about. They're talking about those earlier versions before another rewrite came in and basically had to tailor it more to Stallone's, um, you know, obviously more bruff sort of style. And then, of course, just letting the ad-libbing happening. And apparently that's what they're talking about, was, especially Wesley Snipes, is that they had to tone down his martial arts on screen because it was too fast. Yeah. And <laughs> way too fast. That's what they, so that's what they said to Jet Li mm. in Lethal Weapon 4. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just legit so quick that the, the camera can only do 24 frames a second. So they need to slow it down and actually show the projection. And anyway, but with that and the ad-libbing, they basically cut a lot of Phoenix's actual lines and just let him run with it. And especially with the history of violence area, that was totally unscripted as far as dialogue. Yeah. He just yeah. walked in and, and used what he could. You know, what would you do? You fish out of water. And, of course, he goes, whoa, holy bleep, look, look what's up there. And then he just literally uh, succeeds to pull down every single firearm from the last 200 years. 
<laughs> uh, what was uh, some of the most surprising things that came out of the audio commentary? Because to get Joel Silver on it, you know, he's the he's the mega producer of uh, the 80s and 90s when it comes to films and stuff. And he was crucial uh, behind a lot of scenes there. But what was some of the biggest surprises you heard about the audio commentary that surprised you about this film? Big one was that obviously Point Break had been such a huge hit, right? And uh, one of the leads from that is, of course, Laurie Petty. They were really going after Laurie Petty like crazy. And when mm. she came in, um, she just did not gel with um, Stallone whatsoever. Interesting. You know? And there was, they didn't have that uh, camaraderie. Whereas Joel Silver said, look, I know this girl who's been doing the rounds and auditions. She's very charismatic and she's funny, which is not what Laurie Petty was. So right. they got more right, right. sent her book. And, and, of course, she plays off people well. So you can imagine, like, the original vision of even Speed that she would do later was meant to be with Jeff Speakman and her. Wow. <laughs> it's, so it's it's act- casting changes. Yeah. It's actually one of the more interesting aspects of this film, too, is because because of the casting changes and who they got involved, this film went from a very hard-edge type action film to kind of an action comedy as well. And yeah, I, kind of like yeah. Tango and Cash. Yeah. I, I, I think I, with even a more emphasis on the comedy in this than in Tango and Cash. Yeah. Agreed. That's a good that's a good point, Kyle. Adam, thank you for that. Was there anything else in the um, uh, audio commentary? Uh, that- there was w- one thing that really stuck out was the matte painting. So um, a lot of the effects work is not finished in the film, and they really wanted to work on that. So there was a lot of motion control shots they'd set up to get done, but basically Silver and the rest of the producers said, look, no, we can't add to this budget because it's going to cost you another whatever it is, $10 million. And at that time they had a release date. <laughs> Sadly, they had to read. <laughs> and of course, release date or tracking shots. Release date. Right. Let's make money. You know, it's yeah. a business. They've got to do it. I still think a lot of the shots of San Angeles that they did, although is literally just the places they went to, like the exhibition center um, and uh, some of those, like the, the cryo facility being a penal facility and all that sort of right. stuff. Those really work well because they're using that style of, you know, simplistic architecture of that time, the brutalistic versus uh, that sort of neo-fascist almost look. And and that's what they've done because you think about it, it's George Orwell's 1984 on steroids. But, you know, you know then we've got the additions to it. That, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I saw in the early part of the audio commentary or hear, heard was a director talking about how whatever sets that they did have or even the backgrounds of the real locations, they wanted he wanted to make sure that he got them in the shot because uh, you know whatever production they did get done that looked really good, he wanted to make sure, even though if it, some of it was blurred out because they were focusing in on the characters, it was there, it was done. And I think they had some really good uh, shooting locations. There's the famous tunnel uh, that they have that they that was also in back to the future Two, uh that very long tunnel that's that's uh in uh it's pasadena or somewhere like that that's been in, used in a lot of films and so it, it's a great location yeah, for a for a, um, a car chase but guys um oh adam do you have one more thing i was gonna say too i think with that they they're able to you know, obviously compromise and bring in things the other thing was bringing in a designer that had worked on june and a number of others to do those mad max like outfits I and mean, it's very road warrior when you go oh, yeah. underground and that yeah. was literally the benchmark was okay we need to do post-apocalyptic on a budget how do we do it how the hell did they do that on road warrior and that's what they did <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at Simon Phoenix's. I have it playing in the background. I'm looking at his outfit uh, when he's getting ready to attack Edgar Friendly and uh, Sylvester Stallone, John Spartan when they're down down there uh, in the underground. 
And it's like, you can tell he's got like a piece of tire, like going around, you know, it's just like, but it looks cool. It looks, it looks really cool. Um, okay guys. So one of the mo most iconic scenes in the film, of course, is when in the beginning, uh, John Spartan is getting ready to also be, uh, um, frozen for his punishment. And then it's, it's a tough, it's a tough scene to see because we see him all of a sudden, you know, they add the thing and he gets frozen. Uh, but I, as I was putting the notes together today, as I was doing this, Adam, there was a article that was put up and, uh, there was, uh, some people that were doing a little, as they say, antiquing in Australia, a nude <laughs> frozen Sylvester Stallone mannequin was discovered in an Australian antique shop. Uh, the frozen face demolition man prop was going for $6,000 Australian at a new South Wales shop. And uh, it was uh, the original twit, uh, Twitter post was by Reed McCarter. And that was last year in 2022 uh, when this was published. And during the nineties, a prop version of Sylvester Stallone uh, cryogenically frozen character in demolition man was hung in the ceilings of planet Hollywood restaurants. <laughs> Can you imagine being Stallone? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I can, can you imagine your burgers coming? You look up and there's naked Stallone over your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got pictures of this uh, in uh, the, the, the picture on the left is the original one at a plant Hollywood. Uh, and then the pictures on the right are uh, what was discovered in this uh, antique shop. And, uh, so yeah, it was in this town in Australia and it says here, despite Sylvester Stallone, despite, uh, um, despite hating frivolities like birthday robots and water, con uh, conservation laws once loved a life-size nude mannequin version of himself of demolition man so much. He used duplicates of it to decorate planet Hollywood restaurants around the world. With a businessman's keen eye for movie themed dining decor, Stallone understood that his, Costumers needed to be able to gaze up at his contorted face, latex body locked in a twisted half crouch pose as they ate, as you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the fall of Planet Planet Hollywood, these frozen stones <laughs> disappeared along with the restaurants, vanishing into the cryogenic mist of time, never to be seen again. Until now, that is, thanks to the discovery of one bedraggled sly mannequin by an Australian antique. Uh, <laughs> and this was in an antique store in Katuma, Katuma, Katuma in the blue, uh, blue mountains, which is above Sydney. Okay. Uh, New South Wales, Bellingham. So mm -hmm. it's just outside of Sydney, but have you been to this uh, city? Do you know where this is? Oh, I know very well. Well, my parents first um, house when they got married was in Katoomba, literally on the cliff face of um, the Blue Mountains, and it's a beautiful range of mountains, which um, it's got a whole city to itself right on top. It's like the Australian version of Machu Picchu. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> but once you get up there, yeah, there's a lot of people dealing in arts and antiques okay. and stuff like that up there, so I'm not surprised that somebody up there is because you got to have money to live up there. Well, enticed by this discovery, a Reddit user visited the shop to take pictures with the taxidermied Stallone and learned that it was on sale for 6000 um, Australian. Incredibly, neither the Reddit user nor Bellingham wanted to drop thousands on bringing the prop into their home. <laughs> for her part, Bellingham gave joking reasons for passing on the mannequin, saying, quote, it, would, it, would, it wouldn't fit between the kids, car seat, or the journey home. 
and that we already, <laughs> and that we already had a sex doll for our dungeon that didn't cost me six grand. <laughs> uh, so I'm guessing it's still there. Uh, I haven't heard any updates unless someone did uh, go in there and stuff. Look at these feist. I know, right? <laughs> I had to, I had to cut out the bottom part of what that actually said with the faces says what the f is this <laughs> But guys we let's get into the cast here we are talking about Sylvester Stallone here for Demolition Man um directed by Marco Brambilla of course uh, but I want to kind of get you guys on Sylvester Stallone portraying John Spartan Kyle I want to start with you It's it's kind of interesting here because this is a Again, Stallone was in this place of where he was going back to what he knew best. He had tried some stuff outside of outside of the box, and it really didn't work. That John Spartan is is classic Stallone hero, big, bad, bold, and doesn't give a shit. And that it, it's everything one that's perfect for the type of film this is. But I mean, if you think about it, when when the time he's doing this, he does this. Shortly thereafter, he does Judge Dredd. He's do, he's doing. He's getting back into a familiar territory with him, with himself. He had he had Gabe Walker from Cliffhanger before this, so it, it's it's prime time Stallone badassery. And you know, I just thought of something, Kyle. You mentioned all of those kind of stinkers that he had, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, he was doing these comedies, and I just realized he is funny in this film. So maybe those comedies kind of helped him prep for this. To the type of funny side that he was able to do with it. Well, I think I think this was a time too, because even you look at this, you look at Judge Dredd, and you have Rob Schneider in both films. Stallone was looking to have comedy, a little bit more comedy, even in his hardcore action movies. And you could tell that this it, has its silliness, Judge Dredd has its silliness. Because we got a taste of that in Tango and Cash, which came out in December of 89, which I always famously called the last great 80s action film, because literally it was the last <laughs> action film of the of the I've talked to you about this, Adam, when we covered Tango yeah, and Cash. It's you know true. That. It's true. You, you yeah. know that. So yeah, I think you got prime for that. Uh, Adam, what are your what are your thoughts oh, on Stallone? Uh, real quick, Kevin. Well, oh, oh sorry. There was Sorry. one more thing I want to point out because I think that there's aspects of this film that were very heavily influenced by one of the movies you see a poster for hanging in this film, Lethal Weapon 3 and the Lethal Weapon series with yes. its punchlines and back and forth banter and kind of a little bit of a comedy side to it. So I, I just always felt that was kind of interesting that you have that Lethal Weapon 3 poster yep. hanging in, in Sandra Bullock character's office. And it's very much influencing this film. It's true. Good point. Our, um, Adam, your thoughts on Sylvester Stallone? Well, you touched on a couple of things there, Kyle, as well. Obviously, uh, the big thing that he's done is realise that straight-up comedy is not for him. But I think he's taken a back step and realised what did work in 1989, yes, the last great action film of the uh, 80s, and still, I think, playing to what he plays well, playing off people as an actor. Yeah. Regardless of action movie, regardless of comedy, he needs good actors around him for him to be able to relate. Rocky, perfect example with Rocky. Yeah, he's playing off, you know, Paulie and obviously Talia Shire and, you know, obviously too, you know, um, Mick, you know. You know, uh, those characters are so strong in themselves, they could have a, uh, a film themselves. That's the sort of characters and actors that he needs to excel, right? So in this, he's a little bit like Kurt Russell was in Tango and Cash. He's got something like you know, uh, 
Kurt, Kurt Russell, well, in this case, Simon, Simon Phoenix played by Wesley, such an amazing actor by himself. And then all the camaraderie, this cast, that's how he's doing. And he's literally just playing the Italian stallion for the next 10 movies that he does. He's doing exactly maybe a bit more of a brain than the Italian stallion, maybe. But I think the key is he found a, a formula within this one and Cliffhanger and he's sticking to that. He knows what he's going to work. And I do believe it's from watching how Arnold did the same freaking thing. That's a great point. And uh, I think that you, he, you, obviously he has acting chops. We saw that in Rocky, but then he kind of goes to like the silent hero guy with uh, Rambo and, and uh, he does some other stuff as well. But I think that, um, you know, he really was kind of uh, to do comedy and to do comedy. Well, that's tough. That takes a good actor to do that oh, yeah. as well. And one of my biggest pet peeves about Leonardo DiCaprio is that he's never gone that direction before. In the movie Don't Look Up, which is a comedy, he plays a straight man. You know, the, the funniest role he's had is Wolf of Wall Street. But, you know, I, I like it when actors will do both. And I, I think that um, uh, for him, like Copland, who was really good in that dramatic role. Oh, hell yeah. But you mentioned that, uh, and one of the, his famous quotes that I always remember, and it came out when he was doing his um, run, in, when he st first started doing the Expendable films, was he says, I give the audiences what they want. I know what they want from me. And they want him to be Sylvester Stallone. They want him to be the hero. They want him to kick ass, shoot guns, whatever it is. And so he's kind of been more doing that lately, which I'm happy that he's still doing. But, you know, he's in what I really liked about Demolition Man with him was that uh, you really saw him, as you mentioned, Adam, he plays off well with uh, his cast members, you know, whether it's the villain with Simon Phoenix or uh, Lilani, um, uh, Leoni Huxley, Leona Huxley, Huxley. Leona Huxley. Yeah, thank you, Leona Huxley. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the cast. And that's another thing that I want to kind of dive into now is the rest of the cast, guys. Um, Kyle, yeah, you got something? Well, no, you were talking about the rest of the cast. I just, there's a, something I want to say here before about the rest of the cast because we listened to another podcast, the, the rewatchables, and one of their categories is who, that guy. And at this time in this film, outside of Wesley Sylvester and probably Dennis Leary, this is a great flash at that time period of a bunch of actors who are in that guy role before they became who they were. You've got Benjamin right, right. Bratt, you've got, um, you just got you. I'm going down the Rob down Schneider, the, Rob Schneider, um, Bill Sandra Cobb. Bullock, yeah, Sandra Bullock, Dan Cortez, Jack um, Black, yeah, Carlton Wilborn. Just you have a Jesse Ventura brief in this one, but there's a lot of those that guys in there that are, but they're the they're those kind of that guys that are always really good actors, and you know them as soon as you, you see them, which adds complimentary to the actuals to the true real stars of this film, which are, I think, um. Stallone, Snipes, and Dennis Leary. That's a good point. Uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on uh, the the cast that we have here, as you guys mentioned. We have Dennis Leary, of course, Benjamin Bratt, Sandra Bullock, uh, and Simon Phoenix, uh, of course, Wesley Snipes. He's up and coming at this time. Um, and I think now I know why Rob Schneider was in Judge Dredd. <laughs> uh, that was the, made an impact here. Uh, and then, of course, I didn't know this. But there's a young Jack Black in the background as one of the underground guys, the uh, Edgar Friendly group. Uh, but we had a, a pretty good group of actors here. Um, here's a picture of them uh, visiting Edgar Friendly's underground here. And then, of course, we got the cops as well. Um, 
Bunton is that the uh, the guy that plays the the main police Gunton. guy? Or, what's Bob that? Gunton? Bob yeah, Gunton. Bob Gunton. Of course, a lot of people know him. Of course, from Shawshank Redemption is the uh, the, the head warden here. Um, but uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the rest of the cast. Uh, Adam, start with you. Look, I think the big one for me is the surprise of people like, um, you know, Rob Schneider, who would go on to obviously, you know, greater things himself. Dennis Leary, man, he's great. I, I found Dennis Leary also in The Ref, and that's what was really for me, um, you know, pulling me into his work before even that song that we all know that he did. I think, um, you know, and I just found him hilarious. But he's such a good actor in The Ref. Uh, as, again, I think it's one we should cover one day, guys. It's quite a good movie. Um, but also That's Sandra a, Bullock. Is that like a holiday movie? It's like, a, is it during Christmas? Yeah, Christmas Day, yeah. Uh, Christmas yeah. one where Kevin yeah. Spacey's family's hold hostage by basically him. And, and everything yeah, goes you, haywire. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> great film. But I think, you know, you've got a great cast here and the fact that we've got Jesse Ventura in a small part. Toshishiro Bata, the great sword master, is in this as well, um, obviously known as Tatsu in The Turtles. Um, you've got some great background people that don't really get a lot of time in this one, but those that do um, really excel. I mean, I even like the little bits um, in the, um, the, the the underworld, if you like, of San yeah. Angeles, where we meet the, the burger chef and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back to that. meant to be though, yeah. a bigger part, you know? Like, the rat burger. So think, <laughs> yeah, rat burger. Yeah, yeah. It's the rat, you know? like, And I, I just love that because it's, it's showing all the types of society. This is quite a good bit of world building here. Yeah, it is definitely. Uh, Kyle, any more comments on the uh, cast? Well, I, I want to talk about Dennis Lurie just for a second here because 1993 is a very interesting year because this is when Hollywood decided we got something in Dennis Lurie because here is his 19, just the films he made in 1993 Loaded Weapon One, National Lampoon, The Sandlot, <laughs> Who's the Man, a movie called Gunman, Demolition Man, Judgment Night, and then his. First oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't want you to just roll over gunman real quick here because mm -hmm. that stars Mario Van Peebles and Christoph Lambert. And he's the main villain. And Patrick Stewart is in that movie. <laughs> okay. So gunman comes up. And then his first film in 1994, we were just talking about is the ref. Yeah. So th this is when Dennis, when Hollywood really discovered Dennis Leary and was really kind of putting him through the ringer and testing him out. It's like, is he a movie star or not? And I, I he obviously proved that. He is, but this is this was this was kind of like the early peak of Dennis Leary, the first peak of Dennis Leary in Hollywood. Good point. Like, yeah. So, and of course, obviously Wesley Snipes up and coming. You know, he's he's got this New Jack City's around this time. Um, you know, he's he's getting ready. This eventually leads into him getting Blade, with the, them seeing him and his and he starts doing all those little bit of action movies like Drop Zone and uh, Passenger Fifty Seven and. Things like that. So this is this is really Wesley. You know, this is this is like right at the beginning of an apex for a lot of these guys. I, I think though, the, of all of them, the most crazy one is seeing Benjamin Bratt in this film and how he looks, how skinny <laughs> he is in this film and, and nerdy. And then you see him like just a few years later. It's like that's the same person, <laughs> and he doesn't know who Pancho Villa is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I have to go into this because this is a lot of fun. I found a couple of articles here, and I also added in one for myself. Demolition Man predictions. Now, before I go into the prediction, guys, I did want to mention uh, that I touched on earlier. 
I remember when Demolition Man, people laughed at it. It was a joke movie. It, you didn't talk about it. It was like, oh, yeah, Demolition Man, that movie sucked. I remember because people were talking about it. People were saying about it. It was like one of those really silly films. This was in like the, you know, late 90s, even early 2000s. I started and I was almost on that for a little bit. I was kind of like getting jaded. But then I started rewatching it and I was rewatching it in secret. No one want to talk about it. And then around 2005, seven, I started proudly saying demolition man is awesome. And then technology started happening. Things started happening in the real world. People started going back and revisiting this film. Because Demolition Man made some predictions of the future. And we're going to talk about this one. I added virtual sex, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Computer came about. Um, even Bud Bundy did a virtual sex episode. I don't know if you guys remember that Married with Children episode or not. <laughs> virtual reality started happening. Kyle, you're very quiet. Say something. No, I'm just I'm just thinking you know, if, I'm, if I'm sitting in front of Sandra Bullock like that, it ain't nothing gonna be virtual. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna briefly go over the uh, list I have here. I have about uh, I think ten or twelve of them here. Okay, so here we go. All right, so virtual sex. Okay, we have a slide up showing what that what was what was happening with John Spartan caught off guard. Okay, <laughs> all right. Next, we had no handshaking, okay? The spread of disease. What happened during COVID? All right, okay. I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little sooner than that because Howie Mandel kind of got that rolling when he was doing the, yes. game, the game show because everybody knew what a germaphobe was. So everybody, it was the fist pound. Or, Great. Great point there, Kyle. He was the first like celebrity to really kind of uh, show that, right? Yeah. We also had uh, no toilet paper. <laughs> uh, what happened? What happened during the early parts of COVID? People were hoarding toilet paper. <laughs> you could, that four hundred dollar roll on eBay, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> okay. Next, we had prediction of Arnie's political career. Now he may not have become president. Dude became governor of California. The governor. <laughs> how he's getting how back in the movies it? now, but you know the sixty first amendment is still out there; could be changed. Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering how much did this movie actually maybe inspire some of that? Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Possibly the rise of video calling. It's not an early '90s action movie without some gratuitous nudity. Now the picture I have up here doesn't actually show the nudity. This is when she covers herself. But there's she makes a um, basically a wrong phone call, video phone call. <laughs> but as we know, video calling is a thing now. Okay, next we have, yep, there you go. Next we have self-driving cars. All right, that's a thing now. Thank you, Google. Demolition Man did it first, and Taco Bell winning the franchise wars. Okay, now Taco Bell is still around, but. In the film, the only restaurants is Taco Bell. They won the mysterious franchise wars that can only that only one chain left standing. While Taco Bell has not won the wars yet, they have yeah, come up with the pizza. they have come up with the waffle taco <laughs> breakfast with technology that advanced. No one can stand before no. them. <laughs> no, 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 Kevin. 
Here, here is the truth about Taco Bell. <laughs> we always talk about only cockroaches and Twinkies will survive the nuclear ho holocaust. No, the meat in Taco Bell tacos will also survive the nuclear <laughs> holocaust because it is already <laughs> nuclear. <laughs> the Taco Bell sauce, the mild, uh, the regular and the mild and the hot, that's when you found out that you could drop like a dirty penny in that thing, let it sit overnight, it'll clean it up. <laughs> I love how we have the, the uh, change my mind meme guy and he has said COVID-19 will be the cause of the franchise wars mentioned in demolition, man, that leads to all restaurants being Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next we have, Oh, uh, Wesley Snipes is a hardened criminal. <laughs> Did you know his name is Monroe Hutchin? Okay. So he didn't lead a gang of hardened criminals and murder a school bus full of children. But he did do a pretty serious tax invasion. He had prison sentence and everything. <laughs> Admittedly, it was not a crowd prison, but still. And then we had teleconferences, guys. Now, this was done kind of cool here. We see this as well in the film. Kyle, your thoughts? You had a comment? Uh, I was just going to say, you may do a 187, but nothing is worse than messing with the IRS. Yes. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. Still, I got some more here. Uh, we have... Biometrics. Who needs an iPad when you have a wonderful little device in your hand? It's perfect for the cryo prison warden on the go. Uh, and if you look on the internet, there's it's there. It's there. And then we also have uh, voice-activated appliances, guys. Uh, and if you remember in this one here, we've got, uh, you know, the, um, the funny uh, you've been fined from the verbal morality code. <laughs> That's how we get to <laughs> That's how he gets his toilet paper voice activated appliance as well. And we have YouTube instruction videos where a cop needed a video on how to handle the maniac because he responded with a scornful remark. <laughs> so, so, so my, my, my question is this, who tells the future better star Trek demolition man or the Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Kyle. Oh, Kyle. Well said. That is a good one. Oh my God. Oh, that is a good discussion. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, my my uh, leaning is still the Simpsons. <laughs> but <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, th that's a good good call there. I Simpsons, yeah. But anyway, um, Mr. Molded one, I wanted to get your thoughts on the uh future predictions that Demolition Man made. <laughs> it's pretty close. I think the biggest one they have is you know how political correctness has just gone absolutely out the freaking window. Like it's just yeah. huge and yeah. it's gone past what they predicted. You know, now we're in this stage where it's almost, you know, pushing to the points of, um, you know, dictatorial sort of behavior by people. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely predicted very close to what things are, even though uh, at the same time, we may not have, you know, Edgar friendlies in the world. We may not have Dr. Cocteau, but we certainly have political people like that out there and people pushing agendas and, um, you know, it's exactly what the movie predicted. Yep. Yep. Well said. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. Um, this movie made money. I'm not going to get into all that, though. It did debut at number one, by the way, which is very cool. Uh, and MTV, by the way, held a, a competition. I did want to mention this. Uh, I remember that. To promote the film with MTV sports presenter Dan Cortez as a host because he stars in the film in attendance. Uh, do you remember that, Kyle? You said, What do you remember? 
No, I remember that MTV contest because they did it. It was like a whole production. They did this whole like live show and everything like like that when it happened. When it happened, and of course Dan Cortez at the time was just everywhere. Okay, just quick side story. I was a little disappointed to get a chance to meet him because he was doing a show on MTV called MTV Sports, which was the first mm-hmm. uh, sports show of its kind because it showed extreme sports before X Sports X whatever it was that they do now. And I actually got in on one and I was hoping to meet him because my girlfriend at the time was working for Slayers management and they invited all these heavy metal stars to uh, get together in Corona, California for a paintball tournament. And I actually got to participate in that because I had long hair at the time. I got to meet Gene Simmons, guys from Testament, Anthrax, Slayer. It was really cool. But Dan Cortez did not show up. He just kind of mentioned it and they showed it on MTV sports, but I did get on TV briefly. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> okay. Before we get into the three seashells guys, we're going to talk about that next. I just want to get your guys's uh, favorite scenes and moments in the film. Mr. Mulleted Tell me what's yours. My favorite scenes are literally um, not, the, not just the action scenes, you know, the, there's some great scenes there, but you know, the pop culture ones. So Going down as far as like going down, getting a rap burger. I thought that yep. was great. And it's a, yep. a uh, Rip Van Winkle, as they say, even in the movie, it's that aspect of a, a man out of time, you know, like Captain America or even Back to the Future. You're somebody that's not in that period and you're sort of trying to soak it all in. And um, they're the moments that I like the most in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to um, uh, jump on that in a second here. But Kyle, I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, your favorite scenes or moments in the film. Well, there, there's some great action sequences because it's a, it's a Stallone movie with Wesley Snipes. But to me, the, the best moments are, I agree with Adam. I mean, one of my favorite scenes is when Wesley Snipes, Simon Felix first breaks out of jail and they're all freaking out. We're like, we're, we're police officers. We're not trained to handle this kind of <laughs> violence. <laughs> violence. That's uh, a good but, point. But also just, just like, you know, Wesley Snipes, as he's figuring out, he's been pre-programmed with all this, all this stuff. And, just what what makes this movie work is Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone kind of just being left to cook. You know, they're not, yeah. they were given a script, but they loosely follow the script. They were allowed to improvise. Yeah. And it's those things that make it magical. And in Stallone's case, because of it's the fish out of water and everything and the comments they allow him to make and just kind of shoot from the hip with some of this stuff, it works so well. And that's what makes this movie fun. And that's what makes this movie kind of a standout rewatchable. It's, it's not the action scenes. It's the fish out of water scenes. Yes. Yes. That's a great point, Kyle. Uh, one of my, you know, I've got a lot in, I think you touched on it there, Adam, is the pop culture references in this. Cause what's really cool about it is a lot of it had just recently happened. And uh, I love Lalina Huxley is one of my favorite characters in this, not just because she's gorgeous and, and Sandra Bullock is awesome in this, but she's kind of us basically as if we were transported magically into the future. And I love the fact that she loves old pop culture. I love the scene when uh, Benjamin Bratt's character follows her into her office after she gets chastised by her boss about whatever it was. And you look at all the stuff in her room and I had scoured that room and there's a lot of fun stuff in there, including the lethal weapon three poster uh, or was it two? Lethal Weapon 3, I think. Yeah. And, uh, but there's also, just because I'm a fan, there's an actual Raiders helmet behind her <laughs> in there as well. Uh, there's a bunch of other fun stuff in there. But 
I like to, uh, um, I think Simon Phoenix, when he's by himself, getting into trouble is some of the funnest things. And I love when he goes into uh, gun shopping, basically. <laughs> You know, he's, he gets so excited about the, the 20th century, 19th century guns, you know, and, and, you know, he gets some and he goes, wait a minute, this is the future. Where's all the phaser guns, you know? And then he finds one of those. Um, but I think the moments, the action scenes are fun, but I think the moments between the characters and the joking and meeting Edgar friendly for the first time and seeing Dennis Leary do his Dennis Leary stuff, you know, and, and talk about all of the, uh, the stuff that he his character hates, but it's stuff that's actually happening at that time. But you know, spun <laughs> around during <laughs> uh, I love the the costumes. I love the futuristic cars, which we'll get into as well. Uh, but yeah, I it, uh, there's so much I really enjoy about this film, and I kind of you know every now and then when I watch this movie again, I, I'll kind of uh, discover something new I didn't really like pay attention to. So, uh, but guys, let's talk about. The three seashells. <laughs> this is always brought up, you know, three seashells. Uh, he needs to use the bathroom and uh, they joke, oh, he doesn't know about the three seashells. And this is one of the topics that's always brought up. <laughs> and uh, I found a couple articles here and I have some pictures. So I'm going to uh, forgive me. Uh, one of them's not graphic, but you know, these are artist interpretations of the three seashells and I'll show those. Things. And I also have the three seashells behind me. That is actually is hanging up in my, my bathroom. I decided to bring it here though and show it you guys. And I also have the demolition man. <laughs> Got to show this to you guys real quick. The demolition man toiletry set, you know how to use them. And that's a joke because, well, we really, really don't, do we? Or will we know after this podcast? So I found a couple articles here. Demolition Man's future revealed that three seashells have replaced toilet paper. Here's how they supposedly function. <laughs> uh, how to use the restroom in 2032 presented Demolition Man has haunted film goers since the seashells were presented. So how do the three seashells work? In Demolition Man, Stallone plays John Spartan. He knows, has to figure out how to use them. Uh, and it's left out there as kind of a joke guys. And I think if you ask the filmmakers, it's done as a joke, Adam, I need to go to you real quick. Do they address this in the uh, audio commentary? No, oh, they, they vaguely talk about it, but it is more about the guess that, you know, we have to try and figure out we're in on the joke. And of course the, the butt of the joke is Spartan not knowing how to use them. <laughs> The three seashells are a gross world-building mechanism. In the years since its release, many have speculated <laughs> on how the seashells actually work, much like Demolition Man's contactless high-five. Okay, uh, Demolition Man screenwriter uh, Daniel Waters was protective of the truth behind the Demolition Man seashells. Stallone himself revealed how they work in a 2006 interview via Ain't It Cool News. He explained that that a writer told him you hold two seashells like chopsticks, pull gently and scrape what's left with the third. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, guys. Yeah. Here's some artistic stuff that's going on here and you can find these on the internet. <laughs> uh, one of them, it looks like it's kind of a generation field. You got two by your, your thighs and one guy's kind of holding it towards his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I went there. 
Hey, we got to talk about it, guys. <laughs> uh, well, Ke- Kevin, Kevin, I-, I feel then this is an appropriate time to tell a quick story. Okay, I actually had the, I had the three seashells installed where I used to live, but I had okay. a problem. <laughs> they had crabs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I had um, to turn them. <laughs> so, uh, Sandra Bullock explained the three cells. Apparently she wasn't the, uh, Stolen wasn't the only one. Sandra Bullock was asked about the mystery behind the three shoe cells via MTV. And she gave her own take on it. Suggest there's several processes. You have number one and you have number two, and then you have the cleanup. Bullock even offered some good hearted teasing to the interviewer who posed the question saying it was obvious to me when I read it, I thought you were an intelligent man, but obviously not though. Bullock stars in the uh, lost city. That was a recent interview, by the way. And other hits. She can't escape the infamy of the Demolition Man three seashells. Why the three seashells made it into Demolition Man. The three seashells aren't central to the plot of the story at all. They've been one of the most widely discussed elements in the movie, according to fan via Reddit. Screenwriter Daniel Waters addressed this mystery at a Q&A. Though he didn't reveal the secret behind the shells, he explained how he conceived the, uh, the idea, feeling that bathroom of the future would have some kind of unique features. Then he called a writer friend for inspiration who revealed that kept the seashells in his bathroom as decoration. Waters, though, he didn't reveal how to truly use the three seashells in Demolition Man, did detail how he came up with the idea and gave more information about the call with his screenwriter friend. The story is totally in keeping with the ridiculousness of the Demolition Man as a movie. Waters explained at a Q&A saying, I called my buddy, another screenwriter across town, and asked him if he had any ideas. Waters added, ironically enough, the guy was taking a dump when he answered the phone, looking around his bathroom and said, I have a bag of seashells on my toilet as decorations. He says, okay, I'll make something out of that. (laughs) (laughs) While seashells might be common uh, decorative item in bathrooms, replacing uh, toilet paper within the three seashells and Demolition Man is quite a jump. However, the story just further adds to the mystery and all but confirms the seashell's purpose, but still doesn't explain how they are used. So, Kyle, I want to ask you, I think the fun part of the three seashells is that we don't really know. We have to speculate. Obviously, we saw a silly description of how maybe it was used. Your thoughts on the three seashells? It's one of those things that, for with no true explanation, it's it's morbid curiosity. It caught on because people wanted in on the joke and they wanted an answer. It maybe died off for a little while, and then the internet, being the internet, brought it back. And it's <laughs> it's one of those. It's 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 call Robert Stack because it's one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in Hollywood lore. How do the three seashells work? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the more famous pictures I found. Someone actually has put it in a toilet here, which I think is great. I have this hanging up in in there. My dad hasn't really asked me about it. <laughs> it's just there. <laughs> Adam, your thoughts on the three seashells? Oh, it's it's exactly what it is. It's a running gag which people will remember the movie for. That's what it's done for. There's no answer needed, and there's no answer going to be given because if they do answer it, it kills the mystery. The mystery is what keeps bringing people back. <laughs> well, I figured. Being Demolition Man, it's always brought up. I share memes all the time when I can. Uh, it's one of those things that's made the the uh, movie famous. 
So yeah, it's just kind of a joke, guys, but we're going to leave it up there to figure out how it really, really works. Hopefully it's not like that graphic thing where you actually use it as chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're self-cleaning as well. All right, guys. One of the most important things I, as a video um, nerd, I've always wanted a special edition of this film. I've wanted the cutscenes to be put back in it. I would love a 4K. There's rumors. We'll see. Um, but there is something important that was cut from the original film. John Spartan had a daughter that was in the film. It's mentioned in the film. We know that. But apparently a cutscene, Spartan is introduced to Kate where he learns she is his daughter. The above plot plus other thing, scenes that didn't make the final film were cut because Warner Brothers wanted a much shorter runtime. It comes in about an hour and 55 minutes. So whatever happened to John Spartan's daughter? Well, the biggest problem with Demolition Man is what happened to his family. We know that his wife died. Spartan asked, I had a wife. What happened to my wife? Huxley responds, her light was extinguished in the big one of 2010. Big earthquake, obviously. She died in the earthquake. Spartan already devastated before he asked a question, asked another. I had a daughter. What happened to her? At this point, Chief George Earl interrupts with his amazing bedside manner. John Spartan, I am chief police, uh, so on and so forth. So we really don't get to go into that. Um, and uh, I think Huxley offers, if I remember correctly, to do that. But he says no. So when you watch the scene when he's in the underground where um, Edgar Friendly is and uh, Simon Phoenix and his uh, gang members start to attack, he is seen protecting a woman here. That is this woman here. You can see it a little bit better in some other scenes, but I, this is the only uh, screenshot I could find uh, for this, though. Uh, do you think they made the right decision cutting that out? Would it have been interesting to see John Spartan's daughter, him actually have someone to, uh, you know, reconnect with in the future uh what are your thoughts on that adam i think it's not not essential to the plot i think um you know i mean it's great to have it in there but we're at a time when a lot of those action movies were 90 minutes or just over 100 minutes something like that so i'm not surprised that they cut that out you can actually read about the entire scene and um, some of the other lead up to it in the paperback the actual paperback gives you a full layout of it in the novel so, you know, look, it's not essential. It's certainly not going to drive the plot forward, but you get at least a sense of, you know, the, the loss, if you like, of time that John Spartan's gone through, and as anyone would through if we were thrown to the future and lost all our loved ones. Right. Yeah, yeah. Kyle, your thoughts on the uh, cut scene of his daughter? So a, cu a couple of things here. First and foremost, you got to consider that, oh, especially this kind of this type of movie, not only are they conscious of time, they are conscious of time because they are conscious of a VHS release. And we all know if we're VHS heads from the time that two hour runtime was the magic number to get the best quality VHS out there. <laughs> so you're weren't going then the advent of DVD and all of a sudden all these extra features and scenes and plot lines start coming up in this. In this case, I think what the idea ended up being was this is a great plot line, but we'll save it for a sequel. And Unfortunately, because of what happened with Demolition Man, it didn't get a sequel because I think this is too big of an important of a plot line just to kind of have it be a small subplot. This this is a major character that would have a serious effect on John Spartan. I think this is something you follow up with a sequel on it instead of um, and let just let Demolition Man be what it was, which was the head to head matchup between John Spartan and Simon Phoenix. 
That's a good point, Kyle. Um, that running time definitely is. Otherwise, then you're buying a two two VHS, you know, double thing yeah. going on here. Uh, so good segue. Thank you for that, Kyle. There was rumblings of uh, having a Demolition Man two sequel for quite a while. It fired up a little bit more uh, recently. And personally, I would have loved to have seen him reconnect with his daughter. It would have been nice to have that thing. But Adam's right, though. It's not it's not crucial to the story. I would have liked to have just seen um, it would have been weird because she would be 50 ish, you know, and he's like, if not younger, around that same age. So it would have been weird. But I think it would have been interesting. But speaking of there was rumors that uh, a certain Oscar winner would probably have played. This is about four years ago. Um, that Meryl Streep was uh, possibly in talks for the sequel and she would play the daughter of uh, John Spartan. What do you think, Adam? She's got the, the, the go from me, mate. She's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she is. What about you, Kyle? I, I think she'd do it because I think she'd also be wanting to work with Stallone at that time too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, she, she, she has the gumption to do action and she has the acting chops to be fantastic in the role. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that, uh, I know, um, I know that, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone would love to do a sequel to this and I don't think it's still too late because there's a lot of stuff that you could do with him being older now. Uh, maybe he's chief of police. Who knows? That would have been kind of interesting. Uh, get, you could still get, um, several of the actors back, uh, and maybe there's a new threat who knows, uh, but it would be nice to kind of have that role going forward. Uh, I want to get you guys a uh, quick little. Do you have a favorite quote in the film? I have one. I was wondering if you guys had one, uh-huh. Adam. I think my goes back to the seashells, and it's it's Rob Snyder. He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> That's a good one. I love it. My favorite. My favorite is the flashback when John Spartan rescued a girl, and a TV reporter goes, "How can you justify destroying a seven million dollar mini mall to rescue a girl whose ransom was only twenty five thousand dollars?" The little girl goes, "F you, lady!" And John goes, ah, <laughs> "Good answer." <laughs> there, 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 there is actually a quote in this film by Bill Cobb, who plays one of the the, the African American gentlemen who's in the police headquarters that knows about. Simon Phoenix and kind of giving them the history lesson. And they talk about John Spartan. He says, you've got an old time criminal. And you need an old time cop. To give him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that guy. That was a good one. Good one. Kyle. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, because we have Mr. Lethal mullet on here, uh, the expert in action films, I love to always bring up guns, guns, guns. And there's a lot of really great weaponry in this. Uh, I didn't look at it closely enough, but I like the one that Edgar Friendly has. It looks like a two-barreled, like short shotgun thing that he has. But I wanted to, I want to talk about uh, this phaser rifle thing here, which uh, <laughs> um, Mr. Uh, Phoenix finally finds. And uh, basically, it's a Heckler and Koch G11 K1 that is uh, souped up, basically here. The magnetic accelerator rifle during the museum shootout, Phoenix wonders, wait a minute, this is the future. Where are all them phaser guns? So he finds a futuristic <laughs> particle beam gun, which is called the magnetic accelerator. The rifle in reality appears to be a Heckler and Koch G11 fitted with a laser sight and other embellishments. Since the actual G11 was the experimental stage at the time, the rifle was actually a mock-up cast from a real G11 prototype that was briefly loaned to the production. 
And uh, what I find funny though is like there's a recharge wait time on this guy. <laughs> but Adam, what are your thoughts on the phaser rifle? <laughs> look, I think it serves its purpose. They needed a high tech gun, and Heckler and Koch have always looked um, very, very futuristic. The real weapon itself is actually a prototype for a caseless round that was uh, produced by the company. And the idea was to basically have a bullet without the brass and everything like that, literally just the round itself. And this thing would have enough propellant in the back of it to shoot the round without the gunpowder. And that's that's the whole idea of this, this weapon. But I think the fact that they've gone this sort of um, really futuristic route that we'd see louder than do with G36 and other rifles with even the way the scope's designed as a carry handle almost. Those sorts of things were all in play with this one too. But I think for this, it works really well. And I love the um, special effect they did with um, the firing of the magnetic accelerator. Yeah, it looked devastating once he got it firing. Kyle, any thoughts on the weaponry? It's all great weaponry, but again, one of the best moments in the film is when Wesley's going through the whole, all the weapons. He's like, oh, it's like all his old friends, and he's like, Wait a minute. I'm in the future. Where's the laser gun? <laughs> when, when he's looking at all the weapons and he decides to throw that guy through the window, I'm like going, oh, that's a good. That, that's some good stuff there, especially the uh, short barreled shotgun that he gets to, which, which is very effective. I love that one. <laughs> all right. Another thing that's really cool about this film, guys. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you check out the video because I'm showing some fun slides here. Is the cars, the futuristic mm. cars, guys. General Motors provided the production team with 18 concept vehicles, including the Ultralight, with more than 20 fiberglass replicas of the Ultralight were produced to portray civilian and SAPD patrol vehicles for the film. Uh, after filming had completed, the remaining Ultralights returned to Michigan as part of the concept uh, vehicle fleet which is pretty cool. I would have definitely taken some of those in. Uh, that's one of the very interesting things about this movie, guys, is they didn't just like have one super like futuristic car. They had the one that Spartan Phoenix drives here in the bottom left, uh, that kind of little bullet-shaped vehicle with three wheels. You get actual police cars. You saw um, civilians using these. This is one of the coolest things I love about this film is the look of these futuristic cars. Cause Kyle, they look futuristic, man. <laughs> I, I, I just want, I, yeah, I just want to mark it at the, about the one Oh six mark. It was the first time Kevin said Spartan Phoenix instead of Simon Phoenix. Oh, I did say Spartan Phoenix. Didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> that is my handle. That is my yeah. social media handle. Thank you, Kyle, that, for uh, calling me out there. But you're absolutely right. Well, uh, I had thoughts. Vegas. I, I had over under Vegas odds on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so boys, no, don't you think that these look I, like I, Teslas? They actually do yeah. look pretty damn decent um, futuristic vehicles. Because guess yeah. what? Tesla look just look like that. The Mark One Tesla and the three. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Demolition Man the, did it first. Elon. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, the vehicles that are what a piece of junk. Scott Botman drives. Why did he he's get a like, Tesla? <laughs> oh, he's got a oh, yeah, he's got one, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's got, got a rechargeable. Car. Hold on, you guys are both talking. Uh, Kyle, what'd you say? I said Scott does have an electric car. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, your thoughts, Kyle, on these cars? They're, they're very cool designs. They fit really well for the futuristic at the time, and I agree with Adam. Uh, this is there's especially the, I think the um, patrol car is a very much a early idea for the tesla 
Yeah. You, you look at it, it's a little bit more sleek. It has it has that, but you know, again, and we got the go, we got the gold wing doors, which are very and, cool. And, you know, you know, you you this is one of the things you didn't have on the list was the electric car. Yeah. Yeah, it's self-driving car, but the, the electric the electric car itself in itself Great too, point. or whatever it was, the gel that they used to power these things. Does this put it does this put Demolition Man past the Simpsons now? No, not, <laughs> not probably <laughs> the, the, the Simpsons has called too many president crazy presidential <laughs> things, so you know, I don't want to make them too <laughs> Oh god, yeah, good stuff here, guys. Okay, so next we have this is one of my favorite parts of the car. I, I love how Melina Huxley knows what this is. The 1972 Oldsmobile 442 Demolition Run. I love that we get the hot rod in here. I love the choice of this car. But more importantly, guys. Oh, look at that. Oh, you do have, have the car. Joy, oh buddy. Check it out. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, this was one of my I had to have uh, toys. This is the toy, the uh, toy that you can get for the Demolition Man. We'll get in the toys a little bit more in just a second. But I had to have the car. The only thing I didn't like about the car, though, is when you open up the hood, I hid the gigantic, here it is, the gigantic weapon this thing has. I can't even get out of the trunk. Look at this thing. It's supposed to so, go like right here on the car. <laughs> I don't can, know. Can I, can I make a comment here about this, Kevin? Because you showed us some of the figures from earlier. This car is largely disproportionate to the actual action figures. No, hold on. Okay, see, like the hood just came off, by the way. It's supposed to, when you hit that button, it pops the hood off and the rest of the stuff. <laughs> I'm going to show that to you. There. Don't give Kevin buttons. Things happen. But look, um, you can actually <laughs> fit the figures in here, Kyle. See, look at that. Look at that. You can. I'm just not bending them in there to get in there, but you can do that. See, so. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have to mention, guys, I'm not a fan of a lot of the other toys in here, but the car is very, very cool. Show these pictures we have of the toys. I love this car. It's probably the best toy here. But here's the action figures, guys. <laughs> uh, they had some weird versions of John Spartan uh, and Simon Phoenix that we never saw. <laughs> <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> uh, Demolition Man figures and vehicles are released in 1993, produced by Mattel. The toys are based on the new adventures of He-Man style figures. In addition to seven action figure, the set include a car, the red convertible called the Fast Blast 442, uh, an, air an airplane bola jet, and a missile, missile shooter toy gun. Leanna Huxley was not included in the toy line, guys. Mm. Why? That makes me sad, actually. Oh. Because at that time, girl figures really did not sell. Yes, this is true. Uh, Kyle, your thoughts on the toys. You have a long history in toys. You know uh, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, He-Man. Your thoughts on these? These are a byproduct of the 80s and 90s when it comes to figures outside of Star Wars that are based off of like one shot movie that aren't based off of a long line movie They're, they they have no articulation they are big they're bulky and they are crappy i'm sorry i <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah, look at, I, look. You, you go back um to the history of stallone toys in the 80s you've got that very rough rambo line um Similar type things include the Chuck Norris and his Karate Commandos line, the Karate Kid line. These were rough, and these were not 
look at the hand holes it's like you just stick the gun in the hand holes like that it just it's pretty bad (laughs) let me put it this way we we weren't into the mcfarland toy realm of art of articulation and actual look yet (laughs) i mean seriously by the way, I think these things come out. I just don't want to do it. You turn it here and the, the cannon, the car that comes with, they pop out, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that thing is so old that it, who knows what might happen. One uh, of my favorite toy collectibles, though. Adam, what are your thoughts on the on the toys? Oh, look, it's, it's straight up Mattel. Mattel were doing this with the He-Man line, obviously. Same thing. You get 29 versions of He-Man and none of them are the ones you saw in the show. You yeah. know, um, I mean, there's probably scuba diving Spartan there. There's probably skydiving Phoenix there, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's uh, nuts, but the car looks freaking awesome. Yeah. Let me show the picture a little widescreen. Let me look at some of these versions here. I have the Spartan Phoenix at the very top that has a gigantic gun and he's like an all in black outfit and stuff. But yeah, there's some silly looking figures here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, guys, as we also know, there was a huge commercial push for this. There was a lot of stuff that came out when it came to products. And one of them is the Demolition Man Super Nintendo video game here. Kyle, I have seen videos on YouTube of this as Kyle does the face plant, face palm. Uh, (laughs) uh, Acclaimed Entertainment and Virgin Interactive released Demolition Man on various home video systems. The 16-bit versions were shooting games distributed by acclaim the 3do version is a multi-genre game that incorporates full motion video screens with both Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes reprising their roles as their characters and scenes that were filmed exclusively for the game so that's interesting Kyle uh, your thoughts on the game there was a time when video games based off of I think had the mantra let's do the ET cartridge proud <laughs> <laughs> Because there was a run of video games for movies that you could have swore they maybe spent three weeks in the lab on, threw it on a cartridge or threw it on a disc and said, here you go. And it's rough. And Demolition Man and Acclaim, those are two things. Movie cartridges and Acclaim, those are two things that just scream bad video game run away. Especially after (laughs) (laughs) I would love to find this, just the cartridge itself. I don't want to play oh, it. Oh, I've played it. it. Oh, yeah? And? Yeah, I played it, and it stunk. <laughs> it's bad. One of the cool things I would love to have, this is like, you know, if you were a billionaire and you had all the video games you could, is the uh, pinball game. I've seen this. I've actually played this at a store before. It's very cool. In April 1994, Williams released a wide-body pinball game machine, Demolition Man, based on the film. It was designed by Dennis Nordman. The game features sound clips from the film as well as original speech by Stallone and Snipes. Kyle, you've played this, haven't you? Yeah, I have actually played this machine. This is where Hollywood went wrong. They needed more pinball machines based off of movies. This is how yes. you movie. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, because there's, movie there's all this... Theaters- there's a there's a cool combination of working pedals and movement, and then you would get a little digital readout sometimes if it got real fancy. It had a really cool like pictures and artwork on it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say this this is one of the things that's always baffled me. Back in the day when you would go to your local theater, they always had the video arcade machines in there. 
how they didn't have more movie related pinball machines in the in the your movie theaters is beyond me because you talk about basic simple cross promotion yeah that's true uh adam you remember did you ever see this over there in australia did they have seen this pinball game but i agree with kyle i mean like pinball game is one of the most simple things to put together it's like a massive pop-up book with pedals you know and what i love about it is that come on anyone can play them you know it's 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 literally been around since the 40s or 30s or whatever it is pinball's been around forever longer than that yeah you're right probably even longer than that yeah and yeah. the fact that, you know, you tie it into something, you know, you're, you're basically putting visual elements in there that light up when you hit them and make sounds, have sound bites from the movies. There's yep. even, I'll tell you what, there's a couple of good apps out there right now for your iPhone and uh, Android, which you can get, which have uh, literally, you know, mar- um, well, there's a myriad of different um, franchises on there. But you can pick like Jaws, there's ones for Disney product, there's stuff for oh, nice. Star Wars. And they even have an Indiana Jones one, but um, I remember I haven't played it for a bit. But the fact that you can do that digitally as well, yep. why, why aren't they doing more of that now too? They're not doing much of it. It's good, Cameron. Point. Can Kyle? I just take one little side note because greatest video, great, greatest pinball movie of all time, greatest pinball be, movie of all time. This should be this should be pretty easy for any red blooded American male. Uh gosh, I Kyle, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. There's a movie out there called Tilt that had a young Brooke Shields in it. What year did that come out in? I want to say like 79, 80. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that one. I got to check that, that out. That, that, yeah, that okay. one, that's one to hunt down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, good call. All right. I did not know. I don't remember this. Of course, at the time, I wasn't diving deep into comics, guys, but we had a Demolition Man limited comic book adaption of the film. A four-part limited series comic adaption was published by DC Comics uh, starting in November of 1993, written by Gary Kahn and art by Rod Wiggum with covers by Kevin McGuire. And then, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Adam, novelization written by Robert Tyne. Uh, of course, he was using the pseudonym Roger Osborne, was published in 1993. Kyle, I want to touch with you in the comics. Do you remember this? Uh, yeah, this is this is at a time where both Marvel and Disney would both pitch, pitch and try to pick up movie. I mean, and this lasted for a long time. This goes back into the 80s where Marvel and Disney would pick up the movie rights or the, the studio was looking to sell the movie rights as a way, the comics as a way to, for extra promotion and things like that. But what usually end unfortunately, what usually ends up happening with these comic book adaptions is that nobody of any real noteworthiness in comics wanted to do them. So they'd get down to like the C team of writers and <laughs> artists, and they were usually not real good. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Adam, you have read the novel. I have not, uh, unless it was an audiobook version. I don't think I'll ever find it, be able to do that. Uh, but your thoughts on the novel? novel's great again that was my first foot into this universe and it was you know a chance for the writer to really set up and navigate for us as you know obviously the readers and a a foot into this world you know and it does it builds up a little bit more of the background between phoenix and of course spartan some of the stuff that they've had back in 96 before of course getting caught and then obviously the world too that um dr cocteau's put together and um how he's sort of I guess, corrupted his way to the top. Obviously yeah. more with the, his daughter and stuff like that. I mean, if I could still have that novel here somewhere, I've definitely lost it. It's, um, you know, mm. that was a definite, uh, out of all the merchandise, probably the thing to get. 
I have a friend of mine that I do the GI Joe podcast with. He guests uh, on him and uh, his name's Brad and he, Brad Abraham is actually, he's an author as well. Uh, you can check out Brad Abraham, uh, but he, he has a collection that's quite impressive. That's behind him when he podcasts of all um, novel adaptations of films. And he's got quite a collection that I got to ask him if he has demolition man. Cause I wonder if he does. <laughs> All right. One of the things that I like about this film, and we were kind of messaging quickly back and forth with Adam, Adam is the, uh, the soundtrack. And most yes. notably is the Demolition Man song written and performed by Sting, courtesy of AMM Records. The title theme is a heavier remix of the song originally recorded by Grace Jones and written by Sting during his time as frontman for the police. The song was yeah. first released released in March of 81 as an advanced single from Jones's fifth album, Nightclubbing. Sting released an EP featuring this song and other live tracks entitled Demolition Man. Uh, and real quick, Elliot uh, Goldenthal composed the score for the film. It was the second big Hollywood project after the Alien 3 score. Adam, your thoughts on uh, Sting's Demolition Man? Look, what I love is the original uh, composition of it. You know, it's a lot more funkier. Uh, a lot more bass-driven. I mean, he's a bass player for starters. You know, that's where his his stuff starts from. Considering The Police was pretty much a reggae pop band, you know, that's what they're predominantly known for, right? Right. But what's great is how he's driven that into this new one. Obviously, it's an older song and it's the same name as the movie. So, you know, I mean, who, who knows? That may have even influenced the title of the movie. Who knows? But... Great thing about it is he was able to bring a sort of a cybernetic futuristic element into it with a bit more synth when he did yeah. the version. And it's nice and rocking too. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a real rock and feel to it. I mean, I mean, you gotta remember he's done a number of movie soundtracks uh, as yep. well, you know, with songs. Um, do you believe he didn't he do the speed one? No, no, that was Billy Idol. He, he did uh, um he did one of the lethal weapon ones. I think it was lethal weapon two or three. Three, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, um it was a um I believe a duet with Clapton, I think it was. I'm yeah, yeah, it was. Was. Oh, it was. That's yeah. right. That was yeah, number, yeah. number one on everywhere in ninety-three. Mm -hmm. That and um the fact they all had mullets still. <laughs> but what I loved about it was, yeah, the simplistic, the, I love his, his as a guitar player myself, I love the way that he writes everything around the rhythm section, around the bass. And um, yeah. I'm sure you can appreciate that. Believe you not, folks, this is Stone Gossard. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, any thoughts on the soundtrack? Every major artist at some point goes through what we call the soundtrack phase. This was right in the middle of Sting's soundtrack phase, which I think probably hit its apex when he did the Three Musketeer song with uh, Rod Stewart and Brian Adams. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And that yeah. was a that was a popular one too because you, you obviously you had uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Brian Adams, mm -hmm. and they were trying to recreate that. Didn't quite hit as big, but it was still very popular. Yeah. Damn good song. So, yeah. But yeah, there's a there's many an artist in the 80s and early 90s who went through that soundtrack stage. Phil Collins has did it several even Michael Jackson had a brief, brief soundtrack run there where he did several songs for soundtrack. So it, it's something every artist goes through. I need to do a song for Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into some movie trivia here. Fred Decker did uncredited rewrites on the script when he 
when he was brought on, the script began in the future when Spartan was introduced when uh, was brought out of suspended animation. Decker suggested that the movie open with a prologue set in 1996 to showcase Spartan and Phoenix in their natural environment, saying that if you don't show Kansas, Oz isn't all that special. I thought this was an interesting move, and you had touched on this earlier Adam, when they were talking about this in the um, uh, audio commentary, it was nice to see them in 96. It was nice to see them fighting each other. Also seeing why John Spartan is called demolition man, but it kind of sets up, you know, uh, how uh, Phoenix sets him up because they were all dead mm. in the first place. Um, so I thought that was a good idea. It was nice. I love the touch of seeing the famous iconic Hollywood sign on fire. <laughs> Cause <laughs> if, if the original sign hadn't gotten damaged many, many years ago, it would still be called Hollywood land. A lot of people don't know that originally the sign said Hollywood land and then land got damaged and they just left Hollywood. So, yeah. So Mr. Stallone is on record of being pleased with this film, calling it a good action film ahead of its time. I think because it's gotten a lot of love as in the last maybe 15, 20 years, I don't know if they ever talked about doing a sequel prior to that. I think he's listened to the fandom base. Wouldn't you say Kyle? Yeah, I would think so. I, I, I think this is one of those things to where it's like the fans have spoken and he, yeah. he respects that. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone described his cryogenic freezing scene as probably the worst five hours I've ever had on movie sets. I was terrified. And Adam, they go into that on the um, audio commentary a little bit and it was kind of dangerous <laughs> well it's dangerous plus you know he's got to go starkus you know he's got to go nud in the nud so if you're walking around that, that's adam's mode. way of saying he was naked <laughs> yeah. so if they're going commando as we say in australia which means yeah. no pants you yeah. know you've got to get around that there's a the shock of that and i'm sure you know being an actor they're all you know uh it's 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 all trying to keep calm and stuff like that while you've got all this crew watching you, but also the fact that you're sealed in this, I'm guessing it was plastic at the time to look like water. And they've got to fill it with water as well as before it was going to cool. So man, it's quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you really look at it now and him like getting ready to lose air right before he gets frozen, it's, it's pretty intense. So I got a picture here. Jackie Chan is hanging out with Mr. Sylvester Stallone in his, uh, future cop uniform. Sylvester Stallone wanted Simon Phoenix originally to be played by Jackie Chan. Chan declined the offer since Asian audiences gave negative feedback in the idea of action stars from either Hong Kong or Hollywood who had always played heroes would all of a sudden become typecast as villains. I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. Uh, would this have been cool? What do you think, Kyle? I don't see it working as much because one, the, the, the language barrier would have at that, especially at that time with Jackie Chan. Good point. You, you need Simon Phoenix to be throwing out those one liners, having that over the topness to it. And Jackie Chan would have just brought a totally different energy to this. And come on, let's, let's be honest. Jackie Chan is never, ever going to work as the bad guy. He's too, he's too lovable on screen. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I just don't, I don't think it would have worked with Jackie Chan. This is when, for me, he was starting to break in the States, too. You know, uh, Rumble in the Bronx was coming out soon and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he, he wasn't quite uh, 
as big as he would be very soon. Adam, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Would it have been interesting to have him? Uh, I mean, look, I, I love Jackie Chan. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jackie's work and um, particularly with him being an honorary Aussie, you know, his folks live in Canberra. So, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, I've got nothing but love for the guy. Um, would it have been the right move? No. Hell no. No, because that's he's already built himself by this stage in the mid-'80s coming out of the Lucky Stars uh, quartet and obviously working with Ewan um, Bu and, of course, Sammo Hong. You know, they all carved a career for themselves as good guys, as lovable, fun, good, goofy guys. Basically the Abbott and Costello and um, Charlie Chaplin of their era, you know, because they were it's all slapstick. Buster yeah. Keaton sort of stuff. To put him in a movie with Stallone where he's the bad guy would not have worked. And, and plus he was not popular in the States at this time. You know, mm -hmm. people sure watched him on VHS, but Rumble in the Bronx was not for another three or four years. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I agree. I'm glad they stuck with um, um, Mr. Uh, Simon Phoenix here. Um, I think that um, when it comes to Wesley, he had a certain charisma he can do this by himself. I love it when he's talking to himself, you know, especially when he's like on the computer and stuff like that. I don't think Jackie could have done that, you know, and he's just, no, he's just no. very charismatic. And this is still, I mean, people will probably say blade is his best film. This one rivals it for me because he steals the I show. Agree. He's, he's on the video cover. He's, I mean, you don't, you don't see it's It's those two guys. They have this relationship. It's not good. But he is on everything. He is iconic. And considering, like, they dodged two bullets early on in conception, there's no way this movie would have been successful if it was Seagal and Van Damme. Yep. I mean, it would have been straight to video and it probably would have been half the budget. I mean, who in their right mind? I mean, Joel Silver probably would have balked at it. I don't think he would have given money to a production like that. Yep. I mean, Seagal, by this time, what, 93 would have been out for justice or thereabouts, right? There you go. And yep. Under Siege had just come out. So he was mm. huge, Yes. But was he the kind yeah, of draw the, card that could do a double like that? And the film has a totally different tone to it if it's a Gaul and Van Dam. It's not oh, it doesn't yeah, have totally. the does it not have the totally. comedic angle. No it. laughs. Yeah, yep. that's right. Exactly. Uh <laughs> another a couple some other fun stuff here is during filming, Rob Schneider became friends with Sandra Bullock, but had reservations about her next project. Some bus movie. And he <laughs> didn't he didn't think it would take off. Speed 94 was uh of course, coming out the next year and was uh, the most critically and financially successful of the film. <laughs> now, we didn't know, we all know Adrian Barbeau, you know, beautiful girl. It's done a lot of cool films, you know, Swamp Thing, of course. Uh, and, uh, but she did the computer voice. And mm. uh, she, and of course, she had voiced the computer in the thing as well. So she's got a second career, which I thought was kind of funny. So, yeah. Uh, inspired by the film, guys, Dennis Rodman had his hair dyed and styled the same way the character Simon Phoenix played by Snipes for his San Antonio Spurs debut, which was the start of Rodman dyeing his hair in different colors. Snipes hated this hairdo and shaved it off as soon as filming the rap. <laughs> and and uh, I just want to show uh, the little Simon Phoenix uh, action figure here. That's Rodman right there. Also using that hairstyle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this and I was really jealous guys that I did not get a chance to participate in this though, but celebrating the film's 25th anniversary Taco Bell recreated the 2032 San Angel San Angeles version of the restaurant at 2018 San Diego comic-con. 
I put a shout out to my friends that were there saying, hey, if they got any swag, anything cool, please grab it up for me. None of you did that. Thank you very much. <laughs> if I remember right, that was one of the craziest years at Comic-Con because you not only had that, but that's when G4 was huge and they were there with Attack of the Show with Pereira and Olivia Munn. And yeah. Comic-Con was just insane. Plus you had Marvel and Hall, Hall B, Hall C. And so, yeah, there was yeah. one of the more insane Comic-Con. And as we mentioned earlier, or alluded to, one last thing, the film found renewed relevance during COVID-19 pandemic. The film has seen as predictive or predicted where uh, the calls to end the practice of shaking hands and the shortage of, of toilet paper. Yep, everyone's now going to fist bumping and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> fist bumping. <laughs> All right, guys. Next, uh, I got to talk about video. You know I love video, guys. Um. I remember getting the VHS as soon as it came out. Uh, I missed the laser disc until late later, but a lot of this stuff here, see these pictures here, guys, that's actually my collection. <laughs> my <own personal laughs> collection. And I did want to show this off real quick video. Uh, I do have the laser disc. Um, this is the Japanese version right here or the overseas version here. And I have the regular laser disc, uh, but it got a little damaged. So you see came there. I'll find one that's a little less damaged though. Adam, what was the first version of, um, physical media that you acquired? The novel. That's the first thing I got. And then yeah. after the novel was the VHS when it um, first came out, I got an, an X rental version, but I don't like having all the stickers and crap all over them. So even when I had those, end up getting one from um, Kmart or our Walmart out here. Right. And so I had that. Then I bought the game. And uh, I think I still got that somewhere because we've got a stack. We've got about two full massive crates, Tupperware crates filled with the old cartridge games without the boxes, mind you. But, yeah, then I bought the um, Blu-ray, which came out. And um, now I've got that one is, yes, the Pizza Hut edition. All of these are the Pizza Hut edition except for the VHS. I've got a US VHS with Taco Bell. I think we should uh, – we didn't really clarify this, but because of the different licensing agreement, guys, um, Taco Bell didn't – is not really in Australia. And so – Not at the time. It was in the yeah. 1980s up until about the mid-90s, like 92, but then they folded. So, so they yeah. creatively uh, put – Pizza Hut, which isn't in Australia, and redubbed some of the lines. You can see their mouths are wrong when they say Taco Bell and they say Pizza Hut and stuff like that. But what the first thing I had to do, Mr. Old Mulleted One, when I visited Australia for the first time, was find the actual Blu-ray version of your copy that has the Pizza Hut reference. And that's what this one is right here. <laughs> yeah, which turns out to be anything outside of the States was that version. So the Pell version for the UK and Australia and New Zealand and Canada – um, all the way out to Africa and Asia and stuff like that. All of them have pizza. Hut. Just for uh, reference, Kyle, because I'm going to ask you real quick on physical media. Uh, VHS was released in March of '94, DVD in October of '97, and 2014 we released, and then on Blu-ray on August 11th. When did you first revisit this on physical media? It was a DVD. Uh, yeah. I got it on DVD. Um, I also know too, I believe in 2024, there is a 4K coming out of demolition. Don't tease me. I need that. I need that bad. <laughs> Everything's coming out. Okay, guys. I do want to touch on the sequel here. 
there's been a lot of talk about a sequel, Demolition Man 2. This is an article that came out April 18th of this year, 2023, the 30th anniversary, what we know so far. Uh, and Stallone has gone, you know, hey, it's probably going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And in, um, what was it, the sequel to Demolition Man, and there was an Instagram Q&A where he says, here's what Stallone said. I think there is. We're working on it right now with Warner Brothers, and it's looking fantastic. So that should come out. That's going to happen. There's no doubt that Sylvester Stallone will return as John Spartan due to his age, 73 at the time of this interview. It's hard to predict how big of a role he'll play. Uh, he says Wesley Snipes will also return for Demolition Man 2. At the end of the first film, his character was frozen and smashed into pieces. The mystery how they'll bring him back, maybe cloning, who knows. Sandra Bullock has not yet announced whether she'll return in recent years. She has been uh, particularly active in films, despite being age 55. The last movie she acted was in Lost City, and that came out in 2022. Rumor has it, it'll, of course, jump forward in, in time, maybe take place in 2050, uh, 2058. Uh, as I mentioned, um, resurrect Wesley Snipes, cloning him, maybe. What do you want to see in a sequel? Um, Adam, what do you think? I think, you know, you need to, if it's going to be Demolition Man, it needs to, you know, uh, I think like the good sequels that deal with jumping ahead in time, Blade Runner 2049 is a perfect example. Take what works and push it to its extreme. You know, we get to see the cities, but we also get to see outside of it. So I think we need to branch out past just San, Ang San Angeles and even the underground, you know, and see what happened with, you know, with Dennis. The rest of the world, right? And, yeah. Yeah. So what has happened, you know, have things got better? But obviously if they're bringing back, um, you know, Simon Phoenix, something else has gone wrong. Having said that, this could be a vehicle where you bring in some of those outside elements. Maybe Schwarzenegger jumps in. Maybe <laughs> yes. Terry Crews, you know, some of the crew. Because at the yeah. end of the day, they're all buddies and I could definitely see Randy Couture and Dolph Lundgren jumping in here somewhere. So basically you want a futuristic version of an Expendables 4 that's good. <laughs> All right, Kyle, what are your thoughts on a sequel? I like where you went with that, Adam. That was good. <laughs> so uh, with a sequel, it's it's hard to say. So much time has passed. I mean, I, I think I think this is, if you're going to do a sequel, you've got to address the lingering plot point of his family and yeah. of his daughter. I think you have yeah. to address that. Yeah, Bringing back Simon Phoenix, I, it's the future. There's lots of different ways it could do that. I, I think it's just I, – I, I could see a, a retired version of John Spartan that's, you know, ex finally accepted the future and kind of found his niche in it, and then it's pulled back in because somebody resurrects Simon Phoenix somehow. But I want to throw this idea out at you guys because I have an idea if we were to remake Demolition Man and who I would like to see in it. Ooh. Oh man, Kyle, I didn't even think about that because I don't want that to happen. But hey, it's in the remake era. What you got? For the John Spark. Okay, I'm I'm thinking, okay, I need a little I need this to still have a little bit of a comedy element to it and funny feeling. So for John Spartan, because if you have not seen Zach Efron lately from his latest film where he's playing a professional wrestler, dude is ripped. I would put cast Zach Efron to be John Spartan. Because I would like to see him do a little more action films. I would cast Michael B. Jordan to play Simon Phoenix. And I would cast Haley Steinfeld in the Sandra Bullock role. Can you get on that right now, Kyle? Because I'd like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Adam, you have any thoughts on casting a, a remake of Demol- Demolition Man? Yeah, I think oh, Haley Steinfeld's great, and she she's very of that mold. Um, Michael B. Jordan, yeah, definitely, maybe too good an actor for something like this. Zach Efron, oh no, 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 and and yes, I have seen. Look, he looks the the goods and stuff like that, but you need an established tough guy to do this role. This is something like a. I hate to say it a Statham, but it is a Statham sort of he's vehicle. he's a little on the older side. I was thinking more mm. of Chris Hemsworth now. I mean, he's a little younger. Well, even Hemsworth, he, it needs know? to be something memorable yeah. that we already uh, know as an action person. Because oh. Zach Efron in there, they're like, huh? What? But, it could but be, I would like to know? see a, the, the aspect being I want to see Efron give it get a shot at this kind of role because it's you want you want him to really branch not. out basically yeah branch out into actually see yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that but i think yeah. for a demolition man film uh it needs to be somebody that's got you know the action in their catalog already so my go ahead, go ahead. i was just gonna say my ultimate fear would be hollywood would do this but they would take it too far and go something like chips or baywatch with <laughs> yeah remakes yeah. yeah true you know true. um I, first of all, I want to see a sequel. I want to see these cast members get back together. And I think that, um, like, I, I think there would be a funny moment where you see, let's just say it's Meryl Streep. I don't know, because they're around the same age with Stallone and having to explain why these two people are around the same age, but one's the daughter because of that 50 year or the 40 year difference or whatever it is, or whatever, 30 year, they, she kind of caught up to him. And I think that would be kind of fun to explain. And then, uh, you know, maybe, you know, she helps out. But I, I would I need to see the main crew get back together for this to work. We, sprinkled in with some uh, some new talent, of course. Bring back maybe. Bob Gunton. Oh, God. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Rob Schneider can come back, you know, see what kind of maybe he's, how funny would it be if Rob Schneider came back and he's president now? <laughs> you know, Kevin, I left out I left out one piece of casting, too, in my. Oh, OK. I would want Bill Burr in the Dennis Leary role. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> or, or, or maybe yeah, he's, or yeah. maybe Bill Burr is like, you know, uh, his brother or something. That yeah. would be kind of fun, you know? <laughs> all right, guys, I want to get your final uh, thoughts on this. First of all, do you have any critiques? Is there anything that would have made this better? Cause I was thinking about this, cause this is a question that we ask in couch potato theater, you know, yes, I would have loved to have seen the cut scenes, but, I believe Adam, you're right. It's not crucial to it. I don't know if I would change anything. I don't know what would make it better. It's just I. It's one of my favorite movies for a reason. Kyle, I think the the, the thing with Demolition Man is I don't know if you would change it, change anything with it. But I think if you there's an aspect of it with how it handled future technology, especially at the time, and as we see now, how much of it is actually being affected by by in the modern era, but at that time, I think if you play up a little bit of it more seriously and not just for laughs, this movie probably has a little bit stronger reception in the box office at the time and lasting power. But then it doesn't get that. I don't think, then I don't know if it necessarily gets that cult classic status that it has now. So it's Mm. a very fine line with the movie. This is one of those movies that's just kind of found itself in that perfect niche to where, yeah, it, it got a little bit of it. It got a big push when it came up because it had Stallone in it. It had Snipes in it. They were pushing it both, but it really didn't get its footing. But then as the world changed, it 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 reflected more of what reflects of our world, and we identify with it more now. And so 
there are things in there that are hit closer, much closer to home. So that's why I, th I think one of the reasons why it has a bigger audience now and the, the internet. There, this is a very meme-heavy movie, and that's one of the things. They pulled a lot of memes from it. Sylvester Stallone is, is beloved. Sandra Bullock is beloved. And so when you can pull memes from that and then have something like the three seashells that just is timeless for people to talk about, people are going to be talking about the three seashells until the end of the earth. But... <laughs> But I think that's it's, that's what makes this movie timeless, and I, I think that that's that's why it wins is because it found a magic elixir. To it might not be the best of films, but there's just aspects of it that are always going to be applicable, and I think that's what's unique about it. You know, I always ask the five by five question, and Kyle, that's a great way to sum sum that up. Um, you know, I, I think. I think we've kind of answered that, but I think it would be kind of cool if they do bring back the original members for a sequel that maybe they use that unused footage. If it's still available as a flashback, maybe, you know, uh, when he's talking about, yeah, you know, uh, uh, or, or maybe use it in a different way. I don't know. But um, Adam, I want to get your final thoughts on this film. Uh, Kyle made a good point. It's cultural references. People are kind of falling in love with it or discovering it for the first time. And, you know, Age has made this film better. Let's just be honest with this, you know, uh, because of the stuff that's happened. It's fun to, to, to joke about it and think about it. Uh, what do you think? Don't have as much to say uh, probably as you guys do in terms of what's wrong with it or what should be changed. And I, if I was asked to myself, hey, Adam, what do you think of this movie? Do you think I should change it? My response would be, yeah, nah. You know, like there's just no need to change a movie that's, it is what it is, and it's a product of its era, you know, and a product of its creators. Being a short film, you know, it doesn't need to be Peter Jackson's four hours, 45 length. It told the story it needed to tell, and it told it efficiently in a fun way, in an energetic manner with great leads, great action. You know, it's not the greatest action in the world, but it fit the movie, right? We had a great stunt crew. Um, I think... In terms of story, it was bang on what it needs. It doesn't need to continue that story down the line and use, um, you know, elements that weren't used. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's what sequels are. They continue the threads that were left. They want us to, you know, follow on from what came before. But this movie is, while we're talking about it 30 years later, is because it was perfect when it was, you know, released and does not need to change whatsoever. Excellent point. By the way, shout out to you in the message chat here. You sent me a link to an uh, auction in uh, Australia for the actual book. I would almost jump on it if it didn't have a little rip tear at the top corner of the cover. Uh, but it's <laughs> right now it's like going for that. That particular one's going for just over 30 bucks. It's tempting though. It is. I'll tell you that right now. So I have to look into that. I would love to get the audio or, or the book on that and, and check that out. Demolition Man, guys, uh, as I said, it's in my top five movies of all time. And I'm talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark being number one, talking about um, Sound of Music, uh, Ben-Hur, uh, Aliens, Highlander. They're all right there, top five, top six. Um, and then I, I, you know, Kyle and I, we've podcasted about our, our favorite movies of all time. This one's up there for that reason. Um, I love rewatching this film. Uh, I love watching it in Blu-ray, DVD, Laserdisc. And for when it comes to Sylvester Stallone films, it's probably my favorite because of the character that he plays and how well he works with the other characters. 
uh, you know, obviously you could go, you know, Rocky Rambo, but his character is fun. And this movie is just fun. This movie uh, is had a bunch of great ingredients that worked together and visually it is fantastic. The costumes are fantastic. Uh, the, um, the cast is fantastic. The set decoration is fantastic. It hasn't aged badly at all. Overall, I, I just think that this movie is special for so many reasons and I could just go on and on about it, but I think that we've covered it uh, really well in this podcast. And I want to say thank you guys for, first of all, talking about the three C cells. I apologize for uh, certain uh, pictures that I put up. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle, you had a thought? Well, yeah, I just real quick. There are a lot of people out there who think this is his most underrated film. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, t- I, I tend to disagree with that. So I'm gonna, I, I want to ask you guys real quick: What do you think is Stallone's most underrated film? Because I know for me, I'm just, I'm just gonna say it's the film Lock Up. I love that movie. I think it, he doesn't get enough attention for that movie. I think that's a really good movie. Um, what about you guys? I'm curious. What Adam? Adam I'm gonna go to you. His most Over the top. Film. Over the top. I'm gonna go his most underrated film. Uh, and we've talked about it countless times is I'm going to go with Tango and cash because he took a, uh, a calculated move to look different and act different and to make fun of himself in that movie. Uh, and I think that uh, it was in a way, a turning point, you know, uh, for, for him as well uh, when, when it came to certain type of characters. So I'm going to go with that one. Kyle. Like I said, for me, it's it's lockup. I I think that film film is is one of his more underrated performances, and him and Donald Sutherland in that have one of the more intense scenes in in a Stallone film I've seen. I need to revisit that one. That one's a tough one. uh, I remember because it's 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 it you know it's a good one. It's it's a tough one to watch at times. I got to revisit it though. Yeah, Yeah. good point. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this is the Fandom Podcast Network. Uh, if you're watching this, thank you so much. Please join us on the YouTube channel, Fandom Podcast Network. Please give us a like, share, subscribe. Uh, this is the 30th anniversary, of course, of Demolition Man. And uh, Kyle, I think this has been a good reason to remash this because, of course, we are celebrating 30th anniversary. And I told Kyle, I said, look, if we're going to do this, well, we're going to do this. I can't do it without Adam. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> Adam, Lethal Mullet, man. How can we get a hold of you on uh, the social uh, interwebs? Okay, on anything social, it is the handle at the Lethal Mullet. You can catch me on uh, there. You'll catch me on FPN as well, guys. You know, the shows are always on there on fpn.bobbin.com. And uh, definitely check out the uh, Facebook page uh, at the same handle where we're putting up all sorts of stuff. I'm also putting recommendations for Movies you've probably never seen or should see that are just action movies which fall by the wayside and even streaming aren't picking up. Get a hold of hard media while you can because guess what? It's filtering out of existence, folks. We'll see you there. And spoiler alert, I'll be uh, visiting Australia in April and uh, we're going to hook up and uh, have some fun nerding out on uh, physical media. (laughs) Yeah, and he'll go back to Woolworths. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Kyle. (laughs) I, I just want to throw out too that, you know, as as we get ready to wind wind down this year, the Fandom Podcast Network, we're not quite de- done yet. We've got a uh, we always do a very special holiday themed couch potato theater, and we will be revealing what that will be very soon here on the network. And Kevin, while I've got you here, I have a homework assignment for you. Yes, please. 
well, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. And when I come back, it is time. And I know you have a 3D TV now, which you know, you're very happy about. So I want you to watch giant robots, giant monsters in 3D because it's time to prevent the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you don't you don't have to pull my teeth to do that. So, yeah, uh, we're, we're looking. Do you want to say what you're talking about yeah. or we're, 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 we're going to, you know, we, we all when we were young boys at Christmas, boy, we wanted the big robots. We wanted the big spaceships. We wanted the giant monsters. This is the 10 year. This year is the 10 year anniversary of Pacific Rim. Yeah. And I want to squeeze, I will be squeezing Pacific Rim in one way or the other, but because Kevin now has it on 3D, and it is, in my opinion, one of the best 3D films ever made that's just below that Avatar bar. But yeah. we, are, we will be speaking in for the 10th anniversary Pacific Rim. I will be giving my thoughts on that. Yes. Yeah. Well, we have, we have some fun stuff coming out. Uh, make sure you pay attention to that. Uh, Kyle, how can we reach you on uh, social media? Uh, you can find me, of course, on our face on Facebook under Kyle Wagner. You can find me, of course, on the Face Fan Podcast Network Facebook page or any of the other uh, pages for our shows on the Fan Podcast Network. You can find me on X slash Twitter slash whatever it'll be the next time I blink um, at a Kyle a Kyle W. And you can find me on Threads and Instagram at a Kyle Fandom. I'm working on getting on Blue Sky too. So yes, yes. Uh, Facebook, of course, Fandom Podcast Network. Hit us there. Email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Uh, Fandom Podcast Network is also on Instagram and X. Make sure you follow us there. And again, please hit the YouTube if you're watching this. Thank you very much. Please share it. We appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening to us, uh, fpnet.podbean.com is our master. Uh, we're all the master for all of our audio podcasts. Drop there. My name is Kevin Reitzel. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, X, of course, uh, and threads, as I said earlier, Spartan underscore Phoenix. Uh, check us out there. So thank you very much. Uh, Adam, thank you so much, sir, for joining us for this. I could not have done Demolition Man without you. Yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> Kyle, thank you so much. Be well, Mr. Mullet. Be well, Mr. <laughs> Reitzel. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for joining us here on the Fandom Podcast Network for our special presentation of Demolition Man, our 30th anniversary. And uh, until next time, we will see you on the couch. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Goodbye.